Census figures show nearly 2,000 people live rough or in boarding houses and night shelters, while another 5,000 say they live in garages, sheds or cars. But there are fears that's the tip of the iceberg, and the real number is more than 20,000, with much of the problem hidden from view. And while Auckland City Council is looking at a bylaw to force homeless people off the streets, those who work with them say punitive measures are not the answer. Richard Palmatato reports. Thousands of vehicles drive over a bridge on the outskirts of Whangarei every day, unaware people live below. The dirt ledge that butts the bridge's concrete foundations has been home to 49-year-old Brian for five years. He takes me down a steep bank to where he sleeps on layers of cardboard, which also cover the hole that hides his black pack containing his few possessions. It is surprisingly quiet. This is your home, Brian. As you can see, that's uh, my bag over there. There's cardboard. I've got to get some more cardboard by the look of it. Somebody's been here. You can see a black bag? Yes, I can. Yeah. Looks like somebody's been here and taken your cardboard. The only part that gets wet is this part of here. Because the rain comes in for the road there. It's the driest part there. Otherwise, I would have been over here. Until recently, Brian had the place pretty much to himself. He's been joined recently by James, who at 35 has slept rough around New Zealand for 20 years and in Whangarei since 1989. You know, I didn't want to hear my sisters getting molested all the time and, you know, us boys, so I, I got involved with the gangs instead. And was that South Side or was that...? Yeah, South Auckland. And then you went to the South Island? Christchurch, um, I was living quite rough down there in Blenheim, Nelson. Um, it's just, you know, just that um, the rejection of being kicked out and having nowhere to turn to. So, you know, I've gone under bridges, trees, toilets. Till recently, home for James has been public toilets in Whangarei, where he would sleep, possessions as a pillow feet against the cubicle door for security. Julie Johnson spent last year either staying with friends or living rough in Waitakere City, sleeping in parks or on west coast beaches. Quite a few times I'd pretend that I had somewhere to go, not to put people out, because they'd all say, oh gosh, you're looking so good, you must, you know, not wanting to tell them, no, I'm not living anywhere, and you'd often just go to the park and you'd drink, so you'd crash out and you weren't scared or anything because you knew that the wine was going to pass you out totally but you'd make sure that it was somewhere that where you felt safe being a woman on my own and yeah and often down on the beach and stuff like that yeah you'd sleep rough. Ms Johnson says her situation came about after her daughters moved out of home for education and work and her solo parent benefit was stopped. Wins told me that um, because it was a three-bedroom house and I had always been on the solo mother's benefit, that I would have to find smaller accommodation and my benefit just cut, cut down to unemployment benefit. And all I'd done in those whole of those years, right up to 18 years, was look after my children, who were very successful, and I, and I think I'm very proud of their achievements. So I had no idea how to go about getting a job. My confidence level was not... It, 
it all there. It was all a, sec a sequence of events. Julie Johnson says it's difficult to make changes unless helped by a range of organisations, and asking is difficult. In Whangarei, the Salvation Army team of community workers is led by Sharon Bain. Her team works with Brian and James and a slew of other homeless people who present with many problems, among them drugs, alcohol and gambling issues, plus poor health, the result of inadequate nutrition, lack of hygiene and rest. The centre, like many, provides an address so a benefit can be paid. Showers, toilets and meals. Medical and other services are also available. Mrs Bain says homeless behaviour is on the rise and hard to define. There are people who in fact have shelter, who pretty much are homeless if they're living in a garage or they're staying with relatives and it's, it's very much temporary. I believe that it's a growing problem. We're beginning to see more crowded housing. We're beginning to see more people that are residing on our streets. There are a few more under bridges. And just the transient community, we're seeing a lot more people going from city to city. Sharon Bain says the homeless are everywhere, though most people wouldn't notice them. There are streets and areas within cities, particularly like a big part of Auckland, where people are looking and seeing uh, someone who appears to be um, out of it, sleeping in a doorway. That's not the experience that most people would see throughout our city. So... One of the struggles for our homeless is they're quite invisible. But not to Roger Gooch, a massage therapist in Auckland whose clinic is close to the Victoria Park flyover. For the last seven years, he's seen a large number of homeless people go from living in their car under the flyover to the streets. I um, park my car most mornings and quite often it's actually at night when um, I work late some some uh, on a Thursday generally and quite often you see people just um, starting to live in their cars here. They just look as though they're transitional, kind of moving from maybe having a, a house and something at one stage and, you know, their cars are currently regoed and warranted and then at some stage, you know, they seem to maybe not be able to afford to do that and then eventually their cars disappear and you see them um, starting to become actually homeless people. Mr Gooch says there is a pattern. They don't always park here every night, but, you know, there is a consistency sometimes where the, the same person will be here for maybe three weeks and then um, all of a sudden maybe, maybe you just won't see them at all again. It's hard to say exactly to say, oh, that person, I, I remember it, definitely that person was in a car and now they're not, but... I, I've run around this park, you know, for five years every, at least once or twice a week, and I suppose I notice more in the park is people tend to drift down here where they look as though they've got a reasonable amount of kind of gear and sleeping bag and nice pack and, you know, reasonably well-dressed with jeans and sweatshirts, and then, you know, you do notice that, you know, three, four days later they're still here what, sitting around, particularly summer. Um, during the day and, and yeah they look as though they're slowly becoming homeless and they do look a little bit kind of as though they're staring into space. Mr Gooch says they appear harmless, a view that contrasts with that held by Auckland City Councillor Paul Goldsmith who has called for action to remove the homeless from the city's streets. I've had a lot of people uh, ring me 
subsequent to making comments and before um, little old ladies for example who now are too scared to go into the city and don't come into the city because they've had an experience of of, of somebody frightening them or or doing something obscene or or uh, you know an experience of some negative sort and uh, there are a lot of people in that category uh, and I, I don't think it's right you know, there's a tendency of some people to say, oh, it's not a big deal, or, you know, why is he worrying about this, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal to some people, and a lot of people who live and work in the city. And I think, I think we've lost our way a bit as a society if we can't bring ourselves uh, to say, well, actually, uh, making a lifestyle decision to have your bedroom in Queen Street is not actually acceptable. Uh, using somebody's uh, entrance way as your lavatory is not actually an acceptable choice. Uh, you know, I, if we can't bring ourselves to say that, uh, where have we got to? I, I think we do need to be able to say that and and uh, state it and make it quite clear that you know we have standards as a society. But not everyone on the Auckland City Council agrees. Among them, Councillor Cathy Casey, who says Mr Goldsmith's approach is backward. There's no call for it, there's no research that supports it, and there's no statistics of Auckland City that support it. I mean, we've got one complaint a month about homeless people. So why are we producing a bylaw of any kind? Why are we tweaking a bylaw? Why are we rewriting a bylaw if there is no issue? That's what I don't understand. Whose issue is it, apart from Councillor Goldsmith, who's offended by a couple of people in Queen Street? Dr Casey says a lot more work needs to be done about the issue of homeless people across the board not just those on the streets. The rough sleeper, the 91 rough sleepers in the CBD, has always been the public face of homelessness. And we've now had two national forums where we've looked at homelessness in the wider sense. And it's a massive problem in Auckland. And it's not just people sleeping outside, it's people who sleep in garages, it's families who share a room, you know, maybe eight or nine people or more, trying to make ends meet within a a two-room dwelling. So we don't know the figures. It's very hard to ascertain what the real issue is. But what we do know is there is a total lack of affordable housing in Auckland. That's been well stated. And this is the same council who is aborting the affordable housing project, which the last council tried to implement, just to do some small part in partnership to provide more accommodation for low-income families. Dr Casey says it's the invisible homeless that require attention, though estimating how many there are is problematic. That number, for the country as a whole, is being researched by Dr Kata Moray, who's an Australian but is currently working in Hawke's Bay. When you don't have any statistics, you know, it's all based on anecdote and, you know, we can only really take the views of service providers and homeless people themselves as to kind of get an estimate of how big the problem may be. And those groups that you talk about are certainly um, well recognised and some of them get a lot more media attention than others um, because a lot of those groups aren't known about. But there's also groups who are not really groups, just, I mean, lots of homeless people or young people who fall out with their family and run away from home or there's some kind of untenable circumstance that means that they can't stay at home. Now, lots of those people will just be on their own and they won't be associated with any group at all and lots of them certainly won't consider themselves homeless. The same is true for young families who 
get evicted or can't afford the rent, and there's lots of these situations. So when we talk about homelessness as a group, it's really varied reasons why people get into homelessness, and lots of people in that population that we call homeless won't identify themselves as homeless people at all um, because they hold the same stereotypes against rough sleepers, you know, that kind of unkempt appearance, that that equals homelessness. Um, but actually it's, it's a whole lot more th- than that. Dr Amore says there is a misguided perception that many people choose to be homeless and she believes the real number of homeless in New Zealand may be 20,000. Consistently over many censuses, Australians have counted 100,000 people homeless on census night every year. And they define homelessness the same way that, that I do. And in the state of Victoria, which is you know roughly equivalent to the population of New Zealand, they consistently count 20,000 homeless people. So I think that that is um, a fair enough comparison so that I think that there's around about 20,000 homeless people. And s- certainly the collection of data on homeless people is very difficult. So no matter... Um, what we do, we're always going to get an underestimate when we try to count in New Zealand. Um, but I think lots of people will be shocked because the rate of what we call rough sleeping, the number of people we see on the streets, is actually very low. Uh, I think a lot more people are, are much more hidden and that the problem of hidden homelessness is much more pervasive in New Zealand than it is in other countries. Dr Amore says many people end up on the streets or staying with people other than their family because it is safer. Corey Haddock works with homeless people at the LifeWise Centre, the former Methodist City Mission in Auckland. Mr Haddock says his centre served 47,000 meals to homeless people last year and believes most don't understand the issues these people face. This is not a legal issue or a police issue, this is a social issue, you know. Um, it's interesting, you talk to people about homelessness and, you know, they think homelessness is a choice and it's not. You know, um, people, when you've got nothing else, you know, when homelessness is your choice, well, then, you know, that's the only choice that you make. I think, that, you know, what the councillor needs to understand is that in order to, you know, if he wants to um, initiate his law was by law he needs to ensure that there's services in place to you know to get people off the streets and to address their issues and currently you know because we're not funded by central government we're not funded by local government um, these services just aren't there. James who lives in Whangarei has found even sleeping can be a challenge. I've had to sleep with a knife because in some of the areas I've chosen to sleep have been quite violent areas mainly in South Auckland and uh, central Auckland Oh, it does get quite frightening after a while. But Corey Haddock says there is also a group of young people who find it safer on the streets. Michelle Vial, a young transgender person with experience of being on the streets, is now helping as an outreach worker. The streets are safer than where they normally stay. Um, being houseless, there's a sense of not knowing what's going to happen, but you definitely know when you're at home, whether it's being molested or beaten, you know what's going to happen in that environment. So choosing to stay on the streets and, and playing it by ear, I guess, is kind of more a, a safety than staying at home with your family. Ms Vial says a lot of the homeless transgender youth end up as street-based prostitutes and are hard to keep track of. 
lot of the girls get on when they're on drugs and stuff just vanish for days and come back and you know have been up and down the countryside so it's trying to find a way of reporting that is actually useful to the girls with the ones that don't have housing because I mean sometimes if a client's willing to take them for a drive they'll go and it's gone for two weeks and then they come back and we're like oh where have you been and we do we can't commu we can't communicate with the police or, or any other organizations because they don't have communication so no mobile phone no mobile phone no no form of they don't keep numbers from the other girls or anything like that so it's really hard to track where they're going and what's happening with them Ms. Vial says she knows hundreds of young people who have nowhere to stay. For Peter Sykes, director of the Mangere East Family Centre, the problem is growing. There's a whole group of people, I think, who are homeless in the sense that they don't put down roots anywhere. You know, they're going from, 20 years ago or 10 years ago, it was going from garage to garage to garage, you know, cousin to cousin to cousin. That's the family group thing. Um, but if you're a single person, you see, a single person can't go to a refuge. So if you are kicked out of home, or as a teenager, uh, you, you've got to find somebody who will house you. And I think that's, that's the issue for homelessness and houselessness that I think is the bigger issue. I think we focus on the, the, the groups that we label as the, the, the rough sleepers. But the rough sleepers are only a proportion of the homeless. Mr Sykes says with the economic downturn, numbers can easily be expected to rise. And with that, more of the hidden homeless may be forced into view. The Auckland City Missioner, Diane Robertson, agrees. The number is increasing. But I think one of the problems in New Zealand is because we haven't dealt with some of the issues around housing availability and homelessness is it, you have a cumulative effect. People aren't going off the streets. So if there were you know, 500 a year ago and those 500 aren't permanently housed or it's not resolved, then we're adding to the top of it. So it's not like a, a, we get some out and some come in. It's just this cumulative effect. And I think we've had this growing issue because we haven't actually dealt with it and changed people's lives. But Ms Robertson says changing people's lives can be very difficult, especially where behaviour is entrenched. People who are rough sleeping are so alienated from society that they are like refugees. They often um, don't have the language skills to talk to other people, so they don't communicate. They're, they're people that often are totally isolated with no societal connections. And the way I explain that is, in my daily life and in your daily life, you have lots of connections. You go to a doctor, so you speak to your doctor and that's part of your connections. You may have children at a school, you may have a partner, you have social activities, you have a family where you have meals together. Now, many of our homeless people, all of those connections are broken down. So they don't go to a GP, they don't go to um, social services because they don't know how to access them. They don't have families, and so we have some people who do not have any other conversation than coming to the city mission for coffee in the morning. That disconnection is something Sharon Bain deals with every day with her homeless clients. Also that plummeted um, self-esteem, self-image, to be able to advocate for themselves. We see many affected by addiction. Um, 
where they're living from week to week and really can't see a solution for themselves. Mrs Bain says it can take years to get someone into a house because of their scant life skills. A client that I worked extensively with began a journey 18 months ago. She was living on the street. When she wasn't on the street, she would be in a relationship, and quite often an abusive relationship. So it was one or the other, the bash or the bridge, basically. For her, um, this was a place that she could come, have some friendship, have a shower, take some time out, have a safe resting place. I advocated with Housing New Zealand um, for her, and it, it took a journey of about eight months for her to be able to move into her own flat. She struggles with an addiction. She hadn't been a great tenant in the past. A lot of people would say, well, you know, we just need to build more houses. And there are complex issues behind that. But as we worked together and continued that journey, then it's meant that we've continued to be involved in her life, continue to pick her up and support her to, to come along to our centre and our other wider church activities. That's when it begins to work as people transition into a different kind of community. Mrs Bain says without help, homeless people are often in trouble with the law. The officer in charge of Auckland's downtown community policing centre, Ben Offner, says the homeless are problematic. Not all homeless people commit crime. A proportion of them might commit crime. Um, most of the crime they, they may commit would be opportunist-type stuff where... They'll shoplift, they'll take an unattended bag, um, they'll take cash, they may break into the odd car. But yet again, it's not all homeless at all. It's, it's a, a smaller proportion of them than you'd expect. But Senior Sergeant Ben Offner says there are many repeat offenders. My staff know them all. Um, when you look at some of them being arrested for breach of liquor ban or, or dealt with for breach of liquor ban 15 times by the same constable this year, um, they tend to get them done quite well. Both Brian and James, who live under a bridge in Whangarei, keep well clear of the law. They recognise the difficulties they each have managing money. With their money management, straight out of my bank account, because I know what I'm like. It stays in my bank account, I'll be back to the nearest bottle store. And that has happened for me. So I don't know about James, but it has happened for me. What about you, James? No, I'm the same. I know my... I don't handle my money very well, and if my rent hasn't gone out, then they won't, they won't see my rent. They won't see the rent. And, you know, before that week's up, I'm, I'm out and got to go find somewhere to sleep, somewhere else. Brian, trained 30 years ago by the post office as a linesman, lost his wife, house and seven children because of his alcohol addiction. And while he'd love a home and garden again, he is still to deal with what happened to him as a child. Oh, yeah, I love it. It's, um, when, when we were kids at the farm, we used to go and help the old man do a garden, five acres of gardening. I always used to look forward to it every weekend. And when my old man, or well, something happened to me in the past, I got molested. And that's why I went, got kicked out. <coughs> but I always used to look forward to doing a garden. Brian says he's coming to terms with his past, and for the moment, teaming up with James is a small, positive step. Safer, but not happy. You know, I feel safer because he's around. And like, 
in Whangarei Friday and Saturday night, it's pretty dangerous. You've got all the young ones out there. And, you know, they're trying to be the man or... And, you know, like I do the rounds on the weekend, all night, non-stop. You know, just find a bit of money or something, you know, keep us going. That's when I get frightened. What do you mean by do the rounds? Picking up money and keep us going, you know. Not all the time we find it, but every now and then. Do people actually drop a lot of money that they don't even know about? Is that what you're saying, a bit like the...? The most I've ever found was 80 bucks. Should have handed it in, but I lived the streets. I felt guilty. I did, really did I, because it was a lady's purse. It was in the bush. Just felt guilty, sir. For James, spending time with Brian has its positive points too. We share the sleeping bag. It's sort of like a roster thing. I wait for him to get up and then I'll jump under his sleeping bag for a couple of hours before we come into town. Yeah. I mean, I, my story, I don't think my story is any... can be as bad as my mates here. That's why I feel a bit, um, I don't know, I feel a bit... Um, embarrassed when I hear guys that have been on the streets all their life and yeah In Auckland, Julie Johnson says her experience is that the homeless adapt quickly to a different way of life There was no routine for your eating you never ate at a certain time Um, often people would offer you food and you'd be starving and you'd say no thanks knowing that they only had enough for their families you sort of went to food banks and got what you could to carry around. You went and, oh, like quite often, West Auckland branch of Salvation Army, go and have your one main meal there a week. That You learnt to keep your hunger pains down. And, of course, the drinking would... You became to drink as like a liquid diet, so food like that was not paramount in your life. But she says living that kind of life has taken a huge toll on her health and moving into a hostel is an attempt to change. Eating better, much better. Um, not having to say I'm not hungry. Yes, I am hungry. I will accept that. Um, saying I don't need a shower and, and saying, yeah, I have a shower and not having to go into um, like a public toilet and wet my hair and just tie it back in a ponytail and pretend it's still wet from having a shower in the morning, that sort of thing. Julie Johnson says the government is unlikely to know the true situation for homeless people. The Minister of Social Development is Paula Bennett, who says the homeless issue is huge and requires more research. Even defining homelessness is an issue in itself. So, you know, what level do we say someone is homeless? We can talk about choices, but I think it's a lot. Uh, there's a lot more to it than that, and it becomes a much more in-depth issue when you start really looking at it. Ms Bennett disagrees with the attempt by Councillor Goldsmith to kick the homeless off the streets of Auckland, but says she welcomes the debate the proposal has prompted. A report on the proposed bylaw is expected later this year. As I made this programme, I began to realise there are more people living rough around the city than I had at first seen. I've learned to recognise the signs of someone living without a home. Talking to the homeless is difficult. It's difficult to gain their trust. It's difficult to hear about their often abusive childhoods. And it's difficult to fully understand their world. And while for Brian, living in a home again remains a dream, 
it's understandable, given his circumstances, why he concentrates his hopes on his family. Yeah, I've got seven kids here, they're all grown up now. I get to see one, one of my sons who stays in Otangari, up here in Whangarei. Um, he's a good boy. I just hope he doesn't follow my footsteps. I don't want to see him go there. That programme was written and presented by Richard Palmatato. Technical production was by Colette Chapman and the producer was Sue Ingram.